Good morning, church. So great to see you guys on this beautiful Sunday. Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 14. So turn there, Luke chapter 14. We are beginning a new series that will last about three weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter weekend. And um, the title is, as you saw, Uncomfortable. Uh, so make yourself comfortable because it's about to get uncomfortable. I'm just kidding. Uh, but while you're turning there to Luke 14, let me tell you about a development in our church recently, which is amazing. I'm so, so excited about. One of our jobs as a church is not just that people become believers at Bannockburn from our community and join the fellowship and enter into discipleship, but that people are being thoroughly discipled in God's word. That we, Our goal is for you to be a wise and virtuous follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, wise in the sense that you know God's word, you know his will, and you know his ways. And all that God has revealed in his word, you are thoroughly um, knowledgeable about what God has revealed. But not only that, you're virtuous. You walk in it. And you do that for his glory and for his praise. And in your life, this is the thing. So it's the fullness of discipleship that's, that's our, our goal. And, and so we, uh, we want to make sure that we're not just a church that's wide, that reaches a lot of people, and not have any depth. We want to make sure that we're wide and deep, because uh, I don't think any church has a luxury of, of not being one of those. We have to be deep and wide. That's what we're called to do by Christ. And we have recently added a program uh, to that equipped component to, to be a church of biblical discipleship and training and equipping you to live fully for Christ, and it's the Colson Fellows program uh, that's coming. I think there's a graphic coming up. Um, I don't know if you know Chuck Colson or not. Uh, he wrote a book in the late 90s that I read, and it changed the trajectory of my life. God used it in amazing ways. He was a modern-day prophet. Everything that he said in the 90s, you can just bank on. You can see it in our world today that was coming. Uh, Chuck Colson's with the Lord now, um, but an amazing man, an apologist, um, understood the days in which he lived and knew how to speak and knew how the gospel intersects into the context in which we live. And there was a whole training uh, called the Colson Fellows that trains believers to do this very thing as well. That you would not only know the Word of God, but you would know how the Word of God intersects into the things that are happening right now in our world. And you'd be able to stand your ground and be strong and rooted in God's revelation and know how that correlates with the things that are happening in the world, the ways of our world. And um, I want you to know that this is a, it's a 10-month training, and it's all about equipping the believer to do this very thing in your life. It's work, all right? It is um, a, a one-year program. It starts July 1st and goes all the way around, I believe, May. And then there's like this big, giant national event that you go to next June. Um, and and it's, it's an awesome time of celebration. But it is, it is a lot of work and it's a training. But we have become, just recently, a church affiliate for this program. In other words, it's going to be available right here. We have uh, the Pritchetts sitting right over here who have completed that course from last year till, till now, and they are going to lead the effort in facilitating this program starting July 1st all the way to next year. And they would love nothing more, and Julie Strzok as well, I don't think she's here this week, um, but they're going to be facilitating this, and they would love nothing more than for you to join them in going through this material. There's a lot of reading. I am not selling you a soft sell. This is not nice little devotionals. This is rigorous training in your Christian worldview and knowing how it applies to the world. And it is solid. I 
This training will change your life. It will send you on a quest that will be life-giving and wonderful for you. I strongly and highly recommend go to the interest meeting they're going to have in May. Uh, it does start in July, but there's an interest meeting. And just leave the screen up, and you can take your phone out and take a photo of that. It'll send you information about that. Now, there is a cost involved. Yes, uh, there's some money that it, it might require. Do not pay attention to the money. Just look at the course. Come to the interest meeting. Check it out. There's um, ways to pay for it. We're going to work with you. Just, just know that um, we don't want that to be a discouragement to you. So when you see that, don't, don't necessarily let that be the first thing that, that you look at. We don't want you to be overwhelmed with that. Come to the interest meeting and check it out and pray through and ask the Lord, Lord, would you have me enter into this year-long rigorous training? It will bless your soul. I hope you do that today. All right. Uh, our passage today as we begin this series is in Luke 14. We're going to look at verse 25 down to 33. I'm going to read together. Let's do what Psalm 1 says. Meditate on the Word of God. And as we meditate, it is our secret source of life and power to our soul. Amen? Let's lock in. Set aside the distractions, the thoughts. Listen to what God has to say here. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he is laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just we bow before you today, and, and Lord, you are worthy of all of our worship. You're worthy of all that we are. And Lord, we just pray you'd um, take this time by your spirit as we marinate in um, your words here, and think about them and process them. Lord, we hope that you would just shine light into our hearts. Take us where he wants to go, to be what you want us to be. And so, Lord, bless this time. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today we, we do start a short series leading up to Easter. And, you know, this time of the year, we're in Lent. And many of us, I'm sure, uh, have given up some level of comfort uh, for this 40-day 40 uh, 40, 40 time period. We're, co we're committing to a 40-year fast. <laughs> some of us are going to make it. Uh, 40 days where what do we do we set aside a comfort to say what Christ is going to be my goal I'm setting aside a comfort to remind me that it's not about the comfort it's really about Christ and I, I'm intently focusing on Christ by setting aside a comfort and saying comfort is not the most important thing Christ is the most important thing in my life and that's what basically we're saying by doing this um, and so we start a a series that, that helps us kind of sort of fit into the mind mindset uh, of that. And the series comes from a book 
written by Brett McCracken called Uncomfortable, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. Um, and it focuses on the idea of how much of comfort we love in America. And uh, you can see this book graphic. It's a, a wonderful book, and I would recommend you read it. There's a really great section in there about authenticity. And that we don't have authenticity for authenticity's sake. No, we have authenticity for healing's sake. We have authenticity for growth's sake, for um, becoming more like Christ. It requires authenticity. But authenticity just to be authentic um, is, is, not, is not the goal. And I love that. And that's actually a part of our paradigms here at Bannockburn. Uh, but it's got tons of good material uh, in this book. I, I really recommend that you read it. I'm deviating a little bit this Sunday uh, from the book um, and leading a little bit of a direction in a different direction, but I do recommend that book. It's a great read. Um, check it out if you don't have anything to read right now. But the premise of it is that Christianity in America is deeply affected by the love that Americans have uh, for pursuing comfort, and we are really good at that, aren't we? Um, we lead the world in the pursuit of comforts, um, it's a part of our consumeristic society. I mean, like ads about comfort, you know, take this pill, come to this event, go to this place, experience this experience, whatever it might be, you're not living until bam, right? And it just drives the engine of our, of our, um, our culture is seeking after these comforts, uh, these comforts that we can have. And, you know, I mean, and the one thing that we have in America over hundreds of years is that we see over and over that the luxuries of one generation becomes the necessities of another generation. Uh, for example, let me give you a couple of examples. One is AC. Praise God in Texas. It's a necessity. Did you know AC started off with just helping workers in industrial areas that were extremely hot not burn up while they work? And that was it. It was just, AC was just for them. And all of a sudden, their, their necessity or a luxury for others became a necessity in every household. And praise God, I just put in a mamma jamma AC unit right in time uh, for the summertime in Texas. And it just feels so great that it drops the humidity in my house and it can stay on, it can be not one degree up or down from 70 degrees in my house. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. That man did it. Uh, it's energy efficient. That power company, I got nothing on me now. And it feels so good. And it's wonderful. Air conditioners. Jeans. You know, jeans were originally made for industrial workers and cowboys. You know why? They can handle anything. Snake bites, anything. Thorns, whatever. Jeans were durable, but they also felt like metal armor. They were not made for comfort. And now, jeans are much more like stretchy yoga pants with an elastic waistband. Can I get an amen? Sweet. I don't have to throw them away when I gain weight now. We want our comfort, right? We love it. We don't even like close talkers, right? I was at uh, the, uh, I keep wanting to say the FedEx Invitational, but it's not. It's the Dell match play yesterday. And this guy in front of me had a big Yeti cup in his hand. And whatever was in there, it just made him really loose. You know what I mean? I don't know. But he's with his friend right in front of me. And, you know, we're all crowded up. And it's kind of crowded. But it was such an awkward thing. This guy was standing facing the guy that was facing something else and had his nose almost touching the man's cheek. And I'm sitting there watching it. And I feel uncomfortable. Like, I need to step back. He is so in his personal space, right? You ever had a close talker? You're just like, hey, you know, 
personal space. We love our comfort, but let's get a little more controversial. Free speech. High value in America, right? But man, are we ready to put it aside when things make us feel uncomfortable, right? There's an attack on it right now. That we need to we need to do away with people that make me feel uncomfortable when other views are shared that I don't really that make me feel uncomfortable. And we want to sort of even that is becoming uh, attacked because we want comfort. And the point is this: when comfort takes the place, the main place, the last thing you get is comfort. The, the, the second comfort is the goal, you never get it. Something else has to be the goal. Now, comfort's not a bad thing. Uh, comforts are great things in many respects. We like to be comfortable. We like to enjoy the comforts that are available to us, and they are many in America, and we just praise God for that. However, when the appeal of comfort becomes the main thing, it begins to erode comfort in our life how many of you parents main goal for your kid is their comfort you see the second you make the main goal for them comfort they probably will not experience comfort in their life you don't get comfort by focusing on comfort you get you get comfort by focusing on something great that provides comfort Similarly, Christians in America have to be careful when we bring this mindset into our walk with Christ, into our Christianity. We can have the same consumeristic approach to our faith, and we begin to make comfort our highest priority, and at that point, we lose the source of great comfort. Christianity is actually the last place in the world that you want to go when comfort is your goal. C.S. Lewis said this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. I don't know what port is. I assume it's an alcoholic beverage. All right. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Well, in our passage today, I know that if, if you're taking Jesus even somewhat seriously, his statements have to cause a little discomfort in your soul today as I'm reading. I know it did me. It does me. Every time I read that passage, I've preached that passage all my time, but when I read it, it just makes me so uncomfortable. I want to show you why this passage actually is really critical, though. What is Jesus doing here that is so important? Because here's what. In Christianity, it could be taught that there are phases of commitment. That at the very beginning... You know, early on, first phase is sort of like a free trial subscription, and hopefully you forget to pay the, or cancel it, right? Don't you hate that? A year after you get into a free trial, you realize you've been paying for 12 months, you know, and you're like, ugh, right? But it's the idea that Christianity could be this way, that there's a certain commitment level initially, and then later on, you get introduced to the higher commitment levels, and that's how you, that's how you grow. At the beginning, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus gets you signed up, and he gets you doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And in that phase, you, you just, you're just asked to give up a little bit of this and that. And as you grow up, you give up a little more. And you make a little bit more commitment. And, and then a little more. 
and then a little more until eventually you give up everything. You give up everything. And if at any point along the way you feel uncomfortable with what you're being asked to give up, you can just sort of stop there. And you can just sort of stay in a spiritual holding pattern for a little while. And you can sort of enjoy the comforts of the average Christianity. Because you've felt uncomfortable. And you're sort of okay with that. And if at some point, whatever that thing was that sort of put you in a holding pattern because it's uncomfortable, once that discomfort, maybe one day that discomfort will go away and you can progress on and it won't be as discomforting. And the argument can be made at this point, well, I'm not one of the big spiritual guys, you know, people who've left everything, people who've given up everything. Um, You know, I'm not that. I'm sort of average. I'm down in the middle, right? Or maybe at the beginning. I'm just a normal Christian. Our passage today eliminates that whole paradigm. I want to show you three things from the passage here. One, Jesus says this because here's what he wants to do. He needs to, we need to understand the, the requirement. To understand the requirement. He says something here that really strikes us today as very odd. And you know what? It struck the people of that day as very odd. He says this, if someone approaches me, in other words, what Jesus was saying there is, if you come to me and you say, I want to follow you. And what that meant was, I want to be your pupil, your student. I want want you to be my master. I want to follow you, listen to you, be like you, do what you do. and, 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 And you are my master and my Lord. And I know I have to leave a lot of things to come and be that. Uh, with you in that day. That's just what it meant. And, and so you, you know that he says, if someone approaches me to be my follower and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, then you can't follow me. So to follow me, you got to hate all those people. And some of you are like, I already hate them. Let's, what's next? But some of you are like, how can I hate my family? Like, that's impossible. In the culture of the day, the most important thing for a first century Jew was the relationships that they had in their family. It was their protection. It was their life. It was their whole thing. Everything. It meant everything to them. And, and probably nothing more important. And Jesus says, unless you hate them, unless you hate the thing that's most important to you, In this world, your relationships with your family, you cannot be my disciple. So what in the world is he saying? I thought Jesus teaches us to love our family. Why is he saying hate? Um, Well, the word hate to a Jew in that time, and even before, um, in the Semitic culture, the word hate can mean a couple things. It can mean what we mean it to mean, and that means just to be sort of hostile and resentment or show resentment toward another person. Um, that can be, we can hate someone, right? Um, but what it can also be is used comparatively in the form of hyperbole. If you remember in the statement, and some of you are probably troubled with it, that Isaac, I love, Esau, I hated. Uh, you know, you're like, whoa, what is, what is that? You know, like we're hated like man god's saying he hated someone well it's it's the hebrew it's used comparatively in hyperbole which is saying this is the extent of my love for this person um and it's comparatively 
And so here's, here's what Jesus was basically trying to get at with the hyperbole of this text. He's saying, as much as you love your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, your love for them should look like hatred compared to the love that you have for me. You cannot follow me, says Jesus, and do what is required by me if you have anything that comes before me in your life. And I mean nothing, not even your family. So whatever you consider is important, it has to be like hate compared to the devotion that you have for me. If you come to me and follow me, you consider me. And, and then you consider me in the midst of your priorities, that will never work. You will never finish with me. I won't really be your Lord. We can't operate with that type of relationship. This is an all or nothing pursuit. 100%. Everything you are. Love me above all other things. That's how this is going to work. And then he goes on to say, it's not just hating your own family uh, or making it look is that way, but your very life. In other words, how important is your life to you? That's probably going a little deeper, isn't it? What that, what that means is, how important is the agenda of your life to you? You have to hate it. What does that mean? That means... Your love for Jesus far exceeds your desire to have the agenda of your life. That you are quick to say, here, you have the agenda. I don't make my own calls any longer. And Jesus says, that, that is step one. That's step one. Now, Jesus is not talking to his inner circle. That would make sense, right? I mean, the guys that are following him close, that are going to go martyr for him, they're going to be martyred, all of them except John. And they're all going to be following in death, literally, literally execution, death, persecuted. And so they need to really have a commitment to Jesus, you know. And it would make sense that if Jesus looked at them and go, uh-uh, guys, let me set your expectations now. All of you are going to die, and you're going to die for me. So I need, I need total commitment. And then he looks up at the, the crowds and he says, hey, come to me. All you who are thirsty, you need something to drink. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you forgiveness and cleansing. And then you can just go on about your life. He said this to the crowds. He said this to everyone who's listening. Lifted up his eyes and looked out and said this to all people. And so you have this idea that, that Jesus is destroying the thought that he is sort of signing you up with a commitment level here and then calling for a commitment level later for here. He's saying, no, the commitment level from the beginning is everything. Everything. You hand over the agenda of your life to me. That's what's required to start. Now, you hear that and you go, that's a big ask, right? Um, can I think about that? He says, absolutely think about that. Don't you dare just bebop over here and make a commitment like that whimsically. Like it's a seasonal thing. 
I want the rest of your life, and I want the agenda of your life for the rest of your life. That's what the requirement is. You probably need to do some math. So let's do the math. Secondly, count the cost. He says, count the cost. He says, what builder starts to build without planning to finish to build? What is Jesus saying? I want all of you for the rest of your life. I want you to finish. That's my goal, finish. I don't want you to just start. I want you to finish. Do the math up front. Do the planning up front. Count the cost up front before you start because I want you to know what you're getting into before you start so that you finish. So that you finish. And there is a commitment level you can make to Jesus that won't finish. It won't finish. So before you sign up, before you follow Jesus, the very first step, make sure you've done the task of counting the cost really well. Now, you know what? Let me pause here for just a second to say this. This is why we as a church at Bannockburn, we give every person who comes space to do the math with Jesus and time to do the math with Jesus because this is everything. It's everything. Agenda on the table to Jesus. You have everything. So we're glad you're here. And we give you space and we're not going to force you and we're not going to rush you. Do the math, man. Consider Christ. Consider his claims. Consider his effect on the world. Consider his word. Consider what's happening in your heart. Consider God. Do the math. We're here to help you. Do the math. And all of us would appeal to you and say he's the king of glory. And you can only find life in him. But, he ta- but he takes, it takes everything. But we give space here for that. And that's why Jesus even said and commanded it. Count the cost. Sit down. Think it through the rest of my life, all that I am, my whole agenda, I give gladly to Christ, who is my life. That's the call up front. And this is what he's saying. Count, count the cost. Do the time. Do the time and do the math, because that's what's required. So definitely sit down and count the cost. And Jesus is saying the starting line of following him is that requirement. So do the time. And think it through. Because here's the statement that you make from the very beginning. Let me look at this. Let me look at this. Let me just put this, this uh, statement up there real quick. Jesus, I am yours totally, whatever that means. And you know why I underscore whatever? Because it's whatever that means. And you might have to say whatever a lot in your life. Jesus says, now the person who says that, as much as they know about themselves, they say that from the start. That can, they can follow me, and they will finish with that heart, with this approach. They will, fin- they will start, they can start, and they can finish. They can be my disciple, if this is the statement you're saying. Jesus, I am yours totally, whatever that means. Everything from the beginning. But third, embrace the uncomfortable. Let's go back to that phrase real quick. Embrace the uncomfortable, but go back to this phrase. Jesus, I am totally yours, whatever that means. Now, here's the thing about the Christian life. There is a progression. There is a growth to it, right? You start off saying, whatever that means, I'm yours. And the problem is, you don't really know what that whatever is going to be. You have thrown yourself away to Christ and let him make 
do what he wants in your life. And in that, you don't know where that's going. He is the only one who knows. And he doesn't probably tell you. It could be anything. I mean, you, you, could, you could say this to Jesus. Jesus, I'm totally yours, whatever that means. And then very, very soon after, you find yourself in Africa giving yourself away for the gospel's sake somewhere to some tribe. That could mean that. It also could mean for another person, whatever, you give your whole life to him and you do the same job nine to five in plumbing for the rest of your life. That can mean that, right? And all of our whatever can be different. Jesus can take all of us in a different place with what he has for us. So when you say the whatever, it can be that our whatevers are different depending on who we are and what he has for us. But there's also a discovery process in a posture of surrender to Christ. You, you discover, when you say whatever, and, and all that you know of you, you're saying whatever at the beginning. And then you realize down here, as you begin to walk with Christ, he begins to expose things. And then you realize that, oh, I'm holding on to a whole lot of things. And I didn't even realize I was holding on to them. I was saying I was surrendering. But then I realized I need, to, I need to say it again. And I need to release that area that he puts his finger on. And he shines light into this and that. And in my life, I realize I come to a point where I'm going, man, I'm, you know what? I just realized I'm holding on to my kids. But I told Jesus whatever back here. And you know what? I got to go again right here. Jesus, whatever that means. That means my kids. You got them. And I am surrendering that. I'm giving it to you. My career, I give that to you too. I didn't realize how much I was holding on to that. But then you showed me that and I said it again. And you come back and back and back to this place where you say, Jesus, I am yours totally, whatever that means. And the growth that you're experiencing is not the level of commitment. The growth you're experiencing is the level of surrender he's drawing you into is deeper and deeper. But your commitment is the same from the beginning to the end. In the Christian life, you enter with that commitment, that one, and then you finish the Christian life with that commitment. Growing in what that means is growth for the Christian. It's a process of discovery and surrender, not a process of an increasing commitment level. Where now I'll let you have not just Sundays, Lord, I'll let you have Mondays. This is not what we're talking about here. The Good Friday and Easter are coming soon. And death and life should be heavy on the radar right now. The suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our redemption. But in the Christian life, when you talk about embracing, embrace the uncomfortable, there is a slow death process. Look what he says here. And I hope you're encouraged this morning. We'll get there. Be patient. He says this. And you can't help but understand what he's talking about. It's a little uncomfortable. He says this, take up your cross and follow me. Well, we think of cross as a great religious symbol, but it, it is an execution. And Jesus is saying, come join me in an execution. I mean, think about that. Um, so what is, what is he getting at with that? Um, most executions, electric chair, hanging, Firing squad, instant death. Not a cross. It's slow. It takes a long time. Bleed to death or suffocate to death over a very, very long time. What is he saying there? He's saying there, when you follow me, you're going to enter a process of dying. 
you will die little by little all the way through the rest of your life. Hope you're encouraged. Can I share the inverse of that death? We also, at the same time, are having life, supernatural life of God, slowly but surely springing up in our lives. We are dying to selfishness and sin. We're dying to certain things, but we are coming alive to other things that are amazing, called life. The Gospel of John uses that word, life. Life. Jesus brings life. Dead things shed away. Life springs forth anew from within. And that's a process that we enter into. A dying process where Paul even said, I die daily. Y'all remember that where he said that? I die daily. You and I die daily. We die to ourselves. We live for Christ. His life infuses into us and brings us alive. Slowly but surely, this is sanctification. John 4, 14, Jesus said, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a daily death. There's a daily springing up. And that is what is going to happen in your life when you say to Jesus, I surrender all. All to him I freely give. You will start dying and you will start living. My main point today this is even the initial call of Jesus on the believer is incredibly uncomfortable. Probably the most uncomfortable thing we can experience on this earth. Even the first step of Christianity is the most uncomfortable thing we can imagine because one of the most uncomfortable things for us as human beings to do is what? Give up the agenda of our life to another person. That is the most uncomfortable thing you can imagine doing. I am giving up total control of my life, my decisions to another person. There's nothing more uncomfortable. And it's the very first thing. It's where you start in the Christian faith. If we bring an inordinate desire for comfort to our Christianity, you will never make it. Because it's not about comfort, it's about Christ. When He is the goal, we get the comforts. But when we focus on a comfort, or focus on the comforts, we get neither. C.S. Lewis said this, he said this, Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. See, the way you get the greatest enjoyments in life is when the greatest enjoyments in life are not the thing you're aiming for. There's a person who gives life. And here's what he said. Lose your life, or no, try to save your life and lose it. Lose your life, you'll find it. In other words, hold on to your life. Hold on to your comforts. Control your life. Take the agenda of your life and make it for you. Build a life. You build it. You make the decisions. You stay in control and you lose it. Give it up to Christ. He says, and what you'll do is you'll find it. You will actually find what you're trying to get over here. You'll get it by giving it to him over here. But if you're wanting the comforts, you'll lose it all. 
But when you give it to him, you find it all. And it's free. And it's wonderful. You make comfort the goal, you don't get the comforts. You make Christ the goal, you get everything that comes with him. And if you give everything to Christ, you get everything from Christ. And it's life. It's peace. It's forgiveness. It's joy. It's purity. It's happiness. It's just unbelievable waterfalls of goodness from God and favor and blessing. Last point, consider this Jesus who chose to give everything for you. He left his glory. He chose to become a man. Why? It was required for fallen humanity. And he did it for you. He left his comforts. He left his glory. He lived a life where he didn't own anything. A life of hardship and toil, total self-sacrifice. Didn't get married, had no kids, didn't enjoy any of the enjoyments many of us do. Laid down his life, went to a cross, entered into suffering, knowing it's the only way. For what? For you to be reconciled to God who made you. It's the only way. And what did he do? Total self-denial. All the way, all the way, giving up total physical comforts. Completely, all the way. And his hand stretched out everything for you. Everything for obedience to his Father. Everything for the kingdom. Everything for you. He gave everything to you. So what does he ask in return? Everything for me. I love you. Love me. Come into that love. Love me. Love me more than anything else. Love me more than you want to hold on to your own life. Love me more than anything. And you'll get life. That's the only way I can give you life. The only way I can give you life is when you give me everything. If I let you stay your own Lord and keep the agenda of your life, then I don't love you. Come to me and find life. Good Friday's coming. And let's reflect on that. Everything for us that he gave. Everything all to him that we give. Our salvation. When we do, we get all his benefits. Amen. Let's come back to that today. Maybe you entered that for the first time today. Maybe you've been counting the cost. You've been counting the cost. You've been counting the cost. And you're ready to lay it down. He'll take you in today. Nothing more necessary. Say the words. I'm yours, Lord Jesus. Save me. Take me. I'm yours. You have the agenda of my life. I hand it over today. You can do that right now. You can do that as you're looking at me, staring at me. You can do that. It's faith. It's trust. And in that moment, you become a follower and you get all his benefits deposited for you. And you begin a journey. A journey of growing in him. Letting him show you who he is more and more. Letting him show you who you are more and more growing into his likeness. Encourage you today. Start that journey. If you haven't, we can help you with that. Will you bow with me? Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, thank you for this incredible statement. And Lord, I, I know I, all our hearts. It would be so appropriate for us to sing that old hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and serve him. 
In his presence daily, I will live. And Lord, we need your spirit. Help us see Jesus, his love for us. The love demonstrated and displayed on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, may we be filled with that love and return that love to Christ in surrender. So speak to us right now during this time of song. Lord, as we sing to you, as we think about these things, as we marinate on them, guide us where you want us to be. Take us where you want us to go. And Lord, help us always to be a people who say, Jesus, I am yours totally, whatever that means. Help us say whatever all the time in our whole life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.